0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series today, Living the Truth. So turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter six, verses eleven to thirteen, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled "The Christian Leader."
1: 1 Timothy six, eleven to thirteen says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I wonder whether you think of yourself as a leader. You know, most of us are leaders in some area in our lives. Perhaps you're a leader in your church or in your work or in some civic activity in your home with your kids. And perhaps you feel good about your leadership and perhaps you feel uncertain about what's expected of you. But can we define what it means when we talk about leadership? Years ago it was Warren Webster, a missionary who had served the Lord for many years in Pakistan. He was invited to speak at the then very famous Urbana Missionary Conference, and part of his message included these words. He said, if I had my life to do all over again, I would live it to change the lives of people, because you have not changed anything until you've changed the lives of people. See, what Webster gave that day was one of the most basic definitions of leadership. Leadership is not a title or a position, nor even the ability to wield power over people's lives. You might have all of those things, but be a very poor leader. Leadership is influence, influencing people. As Christians, that's one of the most basic job assignments we have. We seek to influence people with the gospel of Jesus. A leader is like the watch you wear or the clock that appears on your computer screen or in your car. It sets the standard. Or it's like your location as it appears on a GPS. It locates you in an objective way so too the character and example and the influence of the leader is the standard or the point of reference for others. The standing of a leader is the standard that others follow. Leaders set the standard in the church, but they also do so in workplaces and families and among friends. If you learn to be an influencer for Christ, the nature of your life will touch everyone around you. We should be setting the standard, not being conformed to someone else's standard. And we live in a day when there's a crying need for Christians to view themselves as leaders who will become influencers for Christ in this world. So today's message is not only a call for you to lead by influencing the lives of others, but it's intended to show you how you can become that very person to which others set their clocks. Now I know there's something unique about the scripture that we've just read. Paul has specifically written these words to Timothy who's been called to set aright that which has gone wrong in the church in Ephesus. And so the call for Timothy to lead or to influence is uppermost in Paul's mind. And so when Paul writes, but as for you, man of God, he's referring to Timothy's role as the pastor. You see, the use of the title man of God is a title that Paul borrowed from the Old Testament. If I counted it rightly, I think it's used some 71 times. Moses was called the man of God. Judges 13, an angel appears to Manoah, you know, he's the father of Samson. And this is, as we read the text, a Christophany, or an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And this man is called a man of God. See, the title is often used of a wide variety of the prophets in the Old Testament, men who, when they speak, speak words that come from the mouth of God. And from all that Old Testament data, there is but one theme. The man of God, when he speaks is not speaking his own words, but words that come directly from God. And so using that title, Man of God, Paul is signaling Timothy that Timothy's role is not to come up with his own influence, but rather his influence is that of a man who is under orders and who speaks the words of God. And so we might say quite specifically, Paul is instructing pastors in their leadership. But for us who read this letter, we should be able to read Paul's instructions and see what Paul, who's, by the way, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, what Paul thought to be essential if Timothy was to continue to be an influencer in the church in Ephesus. And so seen from that perspective, it should be easy for us to see what makes for an effective Christian leader. The leadership principles learned in this passage in which Timothy was to have influence over others, well, those principles should be learned by all of us so that we too will be influencers. Now, what we have in this passage are five commands for Timothy, and by extension to all other Christian leaders. And before we look at the details, please observe the five commands which you can see in the text before you. They're the commands, flee, pursue, fight, hold on, and then finally, later on, obey. See, these commands are commands that a soldier would receive in a field of battle. They're military commands. They speak of discipline that's required by anyone who wants to be a leader. So good leaders for Christ are not born leaders. They're not necessarily tall like David's brothers. They don't put confidence in the flesh. They don't necessarily have booming voices. Rather, they acquire the skills of leadership that Christ wants for them with the help of the Holy Spirit, by following the commands set for their lives. In other words, if you want to influence others, learn and obey these commands. So let's look at each one of them, one at a time. Here's the first, from verse 11a. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Now we would translate that to say that a leader knows what to flee from or what to avoid. You know, the Greek puts this command in the present imperative. I think it's best to translate this as continue to flee. That is, it's an action that's constantly and consistently needed and has to be applied to the life of a pastor or any other Christian leader. Keep on fleeing for a lifetime. There'll be no time in your life when you're going to be safe. At any moment, you might be called upon to run. You know, those of you who remember the story of Joseph will remember that one day Joseph was alone in the house of the wife of a man named Potiphar. You know, this wife took hold of Joseph's coat and said, you know, in a moment of passion, sleep with me. And you'll remember that Joseph didn't argue with her. He didn't explain his commitment to sexual purity or suggest that she understand the faith. He ran from her as fast as he could, and she actually pulled his coat off him as he ran away. And there are some things every one of us here should be running away from, fast as we can. In the context of verse 11, the these things actually refer back to verses 9 and 10. There were some in Ephesus who desired to get rich, who in their desire to get rich had wandered from the faith. Paul says, flee from this stuff. Run away as fast as you can from the money-centered life. Just like Joseph ran from sexual sin, so you also flee from those life choices and thoughts that you might have of getting wealthy. Run away. Now, in the previous passage, Paul had already let us know that for the love of money, some have wandered from the faith, they've pierced themselves with many griefs, and that might mean that a person has wandered away from the willingness to bear Christ's cross and make the kind of sacrifices the gospel requires. That is, the minister falls in love with ease, he falls in love with luxury, and with the trappings that come with the money-centered life, and without knowing it, he's useless to the gospel. It can be true of us. We might stop being an influence because people can see that it's not Christ that we're living for. Rather, we live to indulge the flesh. And in so doing, and often unbeknownst to us, but known to them, our ability to influence has been lost. And so the first command to the Christian leader, flee. And now the second command, pursue. That comes from verse 11b. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. So we can see that for any man or woman of God, there are not only things that we need to run from, but things that we need to run after. And just like what we've read about fleeing, this pursuing also comes in the present ongoing tense. Keep pursuing in the course of a lifetime. And when it comes to pursuing, Paul mentions six very specific virtues that he wants the man of God to pursue. And we're going to look at each one of them in turn. So notice the first virtue is righteousness and I suppose the easiest definition of that is simply to do what's right. It's the very simple definition and it's a good one. It means we never choose what is morally wrong. It means we pursue at all times to know the commands of God and to know what God requires of us and then to do it. The second virtue is godliness and we've seen this word used several times in this letter it means having both appropriate Christian beliefs, that is correct doctrine, and then alongside of that, a consistent lifestyle that arises from it. It means that we have a daily life of piety, of reverence to God. So much more to say.
0: Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld focus on the use of expositional teaching of the Bible, a verse-by-verse, in-depth discovery of Scripture, allowing the Word of God to speak for itself, understanding its context, eternal relevance for today, tomorrow, and for the life of every believer. Sarah wrote to say, I so appreciate this teaching by Dr. John Neufeld. This message has come at a very important time. I am grateful for the wisdom and insight. And we're grateful for all of our listeners but also that God's timing is perfect and that the word of God taught faithfully speaks directly into the life of every believer. And don't forget this month that Dr. John's newest book, Heaven and Hell, is being made available for free simply for the asking. So call us today to request your copy or to make a ministry gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Every man or woman of God is to flee certain things and also pursue after certain virtues. Now, we've already mentioned righteousness and godliness. Now, here's the third, faith. You know, in this context, it means to have complete confidence in God. It means to trust him implicitly, no matter what you're facing. And why Christians panic is because they don't have that quiet confidence that God's watching out for his children. And now the fourth, love. And it governs our relationship both with God and with others. We are to be lovers. And it means that we act not in our own interests, but in the interests of others. And the fifth virtue, steadfastness. And it's also translated as endurance or the ability to hang in there for the long haul. It's the virtue of the person who's just not a quitter. And then finally, six is gentleness. It speaks to how we treat others. Now, just as hard as we run from things, We also run after other things. How easy it is to stop pursuing these things. How easy it is to substitute other goals and other objectives in our lives. So let me ask you a question. If before this list, I were to ask you your life's objectives, and they include money, prestige, a self-indulgent lifestyle, and even personal accomplishments, might I suggest that you're climbing the wrong ladder? It's against the wrong wall. So then flee, that is, know what to avoid, and then know what to pursue. If you want to be an influencer, those are basic items. Be completely clear in your mind about these things. And then we come to Paul's third command to leaders, fight. You know, in some matters, it's altogether inappropriate to remain passive. You'll be engaged in a battle in which you are to win. You know, I recently read a biography of Ulysses S. Grant, He was the American general in the Civil War. And what marked him different from his predecessors is that he believed that if you are to be engaged in a fight, you must win. That's what a fight is all about, not negotiation, but victory. Now, of course, Paul's not speaking about human warfare here, but there is a warfare that every Christian leader must engage in. So we look again at verse 12a, fight the good fight of the faith. The word fight comes from a Greek word which means to agonize. The word comes from the world of athletic contests and the world of military battles. And the idea being that if you are to win, it will require a great struggle. There is a war, and Timothy is required to fight. But what is he to fight for? And the answer, he is to fight for the faith, which Paul says is a good fight. Now, in context, the struggle that Timothy was engaged in was a struggle for the one truth of the gospel. Remember the beginning of the letter. False teachers wanted to distort the doctrines of the Christian faith, and Timothy was to fight and contend and agonize and go to war so that the truth of Christ would not be lost to the followers of Christ. Every Christian leader is always struggling against false teaching. Satan always introduces half-truths and all-out lies to subvert the gospel and to destroy people. You know, isn't it interesting, then, that the very last word in verse 11 is gentleness? And the first word in verse 12, it's fight. And that's not an accident, as Paul wants to let Timothy know that even while we fight, we're not quarrelsome people. We're strong, but we are definitely not bullies. We're certain about the truth, but we're not arrogant. And what does that mean for all of us? See, if you identify a place of leadership to be your role, let's say, as the leader of your children... And you view yourself in that role as being in a great struggle with the world and with Satan for the minds and hearts of your children. You see, what if you've identified your primary place of influence and leadership in your work? How does it apply there? Well, first of all, understand that that you're called upon to be an evangelist everywhere you are. Influence is influencing people for the gospel. You should learn how to share your faith. And secondly, there'll be those who challenge your faith. So how do you fight for your faith in situations like that? Well, I think Peter describes it, 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. He says, but in your heart's regard, Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So just like an athlete who goes into training, so you also are learning how to share your faith, and you're doing it, and you're learning Christian truth so that when people ask you, you are prepared. So here are the commands for the leader. Flee, pursue, fight, and now the fourth command, hold on. Hold on to the things that God has promised us. Look at verse 12b. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, interestingly enough, when Paul tells us to fight, the grabber indicates that we must keep on fighting as long as we live. We'll fight to maintain the purity of the faith. But here Paul means once and for all, take hold of eternal life. See, that doesn't mean that Timothy wasn't saved at this point in time, that Paul's urging him finally to get saved. It means rather appropriate, to grasp the truth of his salvation and to hang on to it for all he's worth. He's to remember what God has promised when things get rough. See, here Paul reminds Timothy of the good confession that he's made. And Bible scholars are in disagreement as to whether this refers to Timothy's confession when he was ordained as a pastor or whether it refers to the testimony he gave at his baptism. See, I tend to think that it probably refers to his baptismal testimony as all believers testified to Christ's lordship and their salvation when they were baptized. And that's particularly relevant to us, isn't it? See, if you're a believer, do you remember what you said at your baptism? Hold on to that. I'm going to go ahead a little here and look at the final command, and that's found at the beginning of verse 14. There Paul will say, Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. So here's a difficult question. What commandment was Paul speaking about? And we're going to look at a number of possibilities, so hang on to that. But notice in the fifth command that Paul gives Timothy to lead, he commands him to obey. Obey the rule of faith and life required by the gospel. See, I suspect that if you take seriously these five commands, you'll notice at least two things. You might notice how badly you're doing, and you'll have to constantly come to God, and ask him to send you his Holy Spirit to help you to do the things that you can't do on your own. And secondly, as the Holy Spirit helps you, you'll find that your life is taking on the dimensions of leadership. You'll become like the time given on the radio to which others set their watch in days gone by. Now, you and I know these things. So let me tell you a story. When I started my Doctor of Ministry program many years ago now, I remember the rush and the exhilaration of having my first class at a doctoral level. I was excited about a grand new adventure and I relished every assignment and every new challenge. You know, years later, as I was writing my major project, my dissertation, something that was gonna take me over 400 pages, I remember telling Kathy, wow, I really wonder why I started this program in the first place, so what was exciting way back then had now become an endurance test. I wondered why I'd started." A lot of things in life are just like that, aren't they? So easy to start, it's not easy to finish. And there are Christians like that. They get saved and determined to live out those basic five commands, but as time goes by, well, you know, they just get distracted. There was a time when they were careful not to fall into sin, but now, they've gotten sloppy and careless. They once pursued righteousness, now they pursue other stuff. They once fought for the faith, they were active in sharing their faith, but now, Well, it's been many years since they've shared their faith with anyone. Maybe they got intimidated. Maybe they just got tired of fighting. Truth be told, every church in North America is filled with apathetic and comfortable believers who've gone AWOL in their faith. Sure, they come to church, but they've gotten sloppy. And if you asked around and you wanted to know who has been influenced by the lives of those people, you'd be hard-pressed to come up with any concrete examples. That's a tragedy. See, God's call is for mature Christian leaders to be influencers of others, to be role models of what the life of godliness is all about. If you're a new believer, look for such a man or woman to influence you. And if you've matured and you've been faithful, be that kind of man or woman for someone else so that a new generation may believe and be found faithful. But above all, never give up, hold on, the life that Christ has given you.
0: Thanks for your message, John. Can I ask you, what are some of the primary reasons new Christians start out with great fervor and then descend into being carnal believers?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I suppose the you know, the very negative response that I could give you is to say, maybe they're just looking at the rest of us. Um, And, you know, there is a, however, there is a genuine spiritual battle that everyone is involved in. And the enemy of our soul seeks to take away our fervency for Christ and replace it with, you know, a mediocre spirit. Then, of course, the world itself is militating on a regular basis against fervency for Christ. And so there's that as well. Um, And and then of course, we, we just recognize that in our own flesh, I mean, there's this downward tendency that always seems to drag us down. So, you know, we need to be constantly looking to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, but we need the body of Christ as well. Uh, to encourage us uh, into a greater fervency than we've ever before. And we need to recapture that we have a mission from God, which we must do. So, all of those things.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Living the Truth, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. For many, the most misunderstood truths of the Bible revolve around the reality of heaven and hell. Misshapen by popular culture and misinformation, many Christians fail to have a true understanding of eternity. In response, Dr. John Newfeld and Back to the Bible Canada present a new book, Heaven and Hell. As we believe the truth about eternity is so critical, for the month of November only, this important book is now available for free as our gift. Bruce Ware, Professor of Christian Theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary wrote about the book, It is arguable that nothing in this life now matters more than knowing what happens then. Although this book is relatively short, it is packed. Readers will find excellent biblical exposition and incisive analysis that will inform their minds and inflame their hearts. To request your copy of Heaven and Hell today or to send a gift to support the Bible teaching ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.